Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other various movie snacks like Red Vines. Not Twizzlers, though. Red Vines. Twizzlers are like eating plastic. Uh, I am Rick Williamson, your very best movie buddy. And with me as usual, not as always, but as usual, is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how are you doing today? It's good to be back. It is good to be back. It's good to have you back. It's kind of kind of sitting down in the studio. Uh, it made me, you know, with you here, obviously Jeremy did a great job last, last episode, yeah. but it's like, eh, we're back at it. And we're back at it for a hell of a movie. And we are. We, we're back at it uh, for Christopher Nolan's technically 10th film. So we didn't do a top 10 this, this episode because there's only 10 of them. Yep. Dunkirk. Dunkirk being the, the episode of the day. Very exciting. Got a lot of stuff to talk about with Dunkirk. Um, but as we were talking about before, you know, we could have, we, and you know, we had a, a conversation about this and we debated whether or not we wanted to approach this episode as a war film episode or as a Christopher Nolan episode. And you and I both agreed that we felt like this was a good opportunity to kind of celebrate the the decennial, how, what's the word, the decade, not even the decade, but Christopher Nolan's 10 films and where he's been at and where and where he's coming from. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about Christopher Nolan? Obviously, I know, I know the answer, but how do you feel about Mr. Nolan? You know what's funny about Christopher Nolan is that I don't know that I ever go into, save the Batman movies, um, ever go into any of his movies like i see the preview and i'm like i'm jacked right i can't wait to see this movie right like interstellar yeah it was you know good actors Mm -hmm. good people in it Mm -hmm. but he always has good people in his movies like a lot of them are the same repeat characters uh or not repeat characters but repeat repeat actors actors. he's always Um, got his Michael Caine always shows up, and Morgan Freeman shows up pretty much all the time. And, and a lot of them. Tom Hardy's now becoming... Who's the Scarecrow actor again? Uh, uh, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy. Or Cillian Murphy, depending mm. on how bad you are at pronouncing names. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, when Interstellar was coming out, I never was like, oh, Interstellar. Inception mm-hmm. was coming out, and I was like, I don't even know what this is about. I was pumped for Inception. I- I was because of who was in it. Right. Tom Hardy, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Um, You know, having Leo work with Christopher Nolan after, obviously, the movie Christopher Nolan did right before that was Dark Knight. Right. So any credibility that he needed was there. But even when you go back to, like, The Prestige, like, Mm -hmm. Prestige is one of my favorite movies. Like, it never makes any, like, top ten list for me. But, like, that movie is... It's really, really good. There's been a lot of, I mean, in, 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 the, in the release of Dunkirk, and I felt the same way about Dunkirk. Those trailers, the trailers that came out, I was like, all right, it's a Nolan movie. He's doing, but they really didn't get me jacked. But with the release of Dunkirk, there's been a lot of retrospectives coming out. And I feel like lately the prestige has been getting the love it deserves because mm-hmm. the prestige is from start to finish, top to bottom, T to B, phenomenal. Yeah, and at the time it was a loaded cast, but even as you now you look back at it, even more everybody that was in that blew up after it, and some Christian of that's Bale. a lot due to Christopher Nolan, Hugh Jackman, but Andy Serkis. That was early into the Hugh Jackman, true Wolverine, Scarlett time. Johansson, Scarlett Johansson, David fucking Bowie, yeah, <laughs> Dude, like really Frickin Michael Caine, Bowie, yeah. Bowie, Bowie showed up as Tesla of all people. But I mean, even going back to his first like real big hit, which would be Memento, mm-hmm. one and, of my and, I, and I don't know that it was a big hit from like a box office. I didn't look up what it did on a box office level, huge. but I think that movie is like just it's one of those that's like a trippy movie, right. but it's also not difficult to follow. Like no. you watch it and like you know and understand what's going on, but it's just done in a different way than what you're used to. So I think once I think once Dark Knight came out after him doing Memento, Batman Begins, Prestige, and then obviously Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies of all time right. as well. Um, at that point, it didn't really matter whether the trailer looked good to me anymore. If it was Christopher Nolan, I was going to see. I'm it. there, right? Yeah, like. 
especially because he's so selective. Like he's not someone cranking out two movies a year or no. even a movie every year. He's um, made since Memento. It's 2017, and Memento came out in 2000, and he's only made eight other movies. Yeah. So it's like it's pretty much every two years he comes out with a movie. Right. Sometimes he'll go back-to-back years, but he's never come out with two movies in one year, which I know is difficult when you're directing yeah. and writing and producing. And he he is pretty hands-on with all of the parts of his movie. Very hands-on. Uh, going back to it, Memento wasn't a huge box office thing. It was – I think it made like – Thirty-nine million dollars on a nine million dollar budget, or something, something like that. But it was the arrival of a great storyteller. Like the way that that movie, uh, the the easiest way to watch that movie is uh, the black and white because it's inter because it's interspliced. Right, it's one of my favorite movie watching experiences of all time. But it's interspliced, and the way to watch it, um, and I might get this wrong because it's been a while since I've seen it, but. The black and white movies or the black and white portions of the movie are the basically the first half of the story. And the color portions of the movie are the second half of the story. They're just interspliced with one another to where the end of the actual movie is the middle of the story. Yeah. That shit is genius. Right. I just get pumped talking about it. And that's really the thing that I think makes Christopher Nolan movies so fun. And I say fun from a movie nerd perspective. Right. Not necessarily that all of his movies <laughs> are super jovial and fun because there's not many. I don't think there are any that you could say are that way. Not a lot of crowd. I mean, not even The Dark Knight. is The Dark Knight ain't a crowd pleaser. Well, yeah. and It I, ends with Batman on the run from the cops after everyone's dead. You find yourself having <laughs> to laugh at things like the Joker saying, want to see a magic trick and right. putting a... Like, really, you're laughing at someone just getting a pencil through right. <laughs> into his brain. It's very funny. So <laughs> uh, there's not usually a whole lot of, like, laughs in that. But I think from a standpoint of when you go and sit down at a Christopher Nolan movie, like, it's not going to be your typical storyline of start at A and end at Z. Right. Um, in pretty much every one of his movies, even with the Batman movies, um, you see that change you see absolutely you see on a smaller degree. flashbacks mm -hmm. you see we already saw this scene but you didn't realize what really happened well that's a great example like okay the example uh, the biggest one for the dark knight for me obviously the bank robbery scene at the beginning where you you're just thrust into this bank robbery and you don't know all the details but the reveal of when um harvey and rachel are in different locations mm -hmm. like that reveal yeah that's very Nolan-esque. Or even The Dark Knight Rises when you're playing with who Bane is. Oh, Bane was the kid. Oh, wait. Bane wasn't, wasn't the kid. kid. The kid was uh, uh, Talia al Ghul and Bane was her protector. Like, folding in these Nolanisms into these big, huge movies yeah. is a delight from a storytelling standpoint, like you said, from a movie nerd standpoint. It's exciting. Um, even like, but one of my favorite things that he does is he plays with themes in ways that you don't expect. So for example, time, which is a very obvious, I mean, going through all of these time is one of the biggest factors in at least half of his movies. Uh, uh, Memento, he plays with time in the way that the story is told. Uh, Inception, obviously going deeper into the dreams, playing with time in ways where it, it's, it's something that can be tracked. Uh, interstellar time actually becomes a commodity very much mm -hmm. like air or water where they're in space and if you go down to this planet and you spend an hour there it's eight years up there and you need to be cognizant of time just as you would air in your in your space suit uh and dunkirk we'll get into it keeps that tradition going in a way that is i think supremely rewarding from a view viewing standpoint so let me throw this question at you what's your favorite do you have a favorite can you narrow down a favorite christopher nolan <laughs> it is, movie it is really hard because they are all great i think obviously the bottom of the list would be insomnia not because it's it's bad but because yeah it's just the good movie out of all the great movies i would have to probably say either out of all of these god the, i'm gonna give you a three 
I'm going to say right now I think Dunkirk might be my favorite. Dunkirk is wow. a fucking masterpiece. But beyond Dunkirk, and we got to let it marinate a little bit, yep. is what we always try and do, let it marinate. Uh, Memento, The Dark Knight, and Inception are my top three, and I reserve the right to change the order in, in, at any point. Those are Memento is I I am a still. I need to go watch Memento again. It's yeah, been too long. That movie's one ridiculous. of my favorite DVD special features was on the Memento special edition where it came in a case that looked like the psychology chart. Uh, oh the, yeah, the psych chart. And if you found it, it was a hidden one. Remember how DVDs had mm-hmm. hidden features and shit. Uh, this one, if you went to the right place, it actually played a chronological version of the movie, which is like. The whole I do around. remember that. Yeah. I remember um, that now. That but you say that. The Dark Knight is one of the greatest. It's the greatest superhero movie of all time. One of. Uh, it's my number two, as, as previously discussed. Um, but Inception is just so clever and so well edited and so well acted. And everyone's cool as shit. And, and all the ce- and the scenes are amazing. And the use of music is amazing. And we see a lot of those themes carry forth today. Yeah. Yeah, what about and, you? I mean, for me, it's pretty similar. I think the only thing maybe I sneak into there, Memento, Prestige are pretty close for me. I love the Prestige. Um, I love the reveals. I love that the whole movie, it's kind of similar, reminds me of what I loved about Now You See Me. Mm-hmm. In the uh, sense that it's kind of, the movie's a magic trick. The movie trick. is kind of a magic trick yeah. at the same time. Um, and... I don't know. If, well, obviously you knew because you read the spoilers. I spoil everything. But you know the whole concept of at the end that he's got an actual twin, and mm-hmm. then you know also the reveal that you know Hugh Jackman's been going down this making clones of this himself and killing dark. himself every night. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think people really recognize how dark that movie actually is. Very because like. People just think, oh, yeah, like he goes into it every night and, you right. know, it's just a clone. But like he's literally murdering a clone of a himself clone, and then, every I mean, time he does his show. Yeah. Versus it's, like Christian Bale. It's Bills. so good. It's so good. And the acting, it's it's legit. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a huge fan. It's so, so good. It's amazing. I'm but just what looking do we, at uh, I, I know we uh, went through one of the things that we proposed to you guys because normally we do a top ten list. So we going do. into this, we did ask – our listeners for uh, and our followers for some insight too, and, and we didn't go the Christopher Nolan route. True. Um, I mean, there's only ten movies, and pretty much the answers are going to be right what we said. I mean, it is literally like it's safe to say that Interstellar probably isn't anybody's favorite. The Dark Knight Rises isn't anybody's favorite. Well, The Dark Knight Rises just always is going to be directly compared to Dark Knight. Unfortunately, so it's like no one's ever going to say they like Dark Knight Rises more than Dark Knight. Right. So just by that, it's never going to be able to be first place. It's hard. Um, But I think we we look at this movie, and and obviously it's a set in in World War II. Right. um, And we'll talk about the background of the story a little bit. Um, But that brought us into thinking about war movies war movies in general and, and that's one of the reasons we didn't do the episode on war movies is because when we say war movie you think world war ii that's typical yep. you think world war ii but war movies are vietnam they are the the roman ages they are the the 1200s they're the 1800s there's the civil war there's just there's more there's than fantasy just fantasy wars there's fantasy wars and things like like Wars, war movies are shockingly enough for us too big, yeah. not too big to ask about, but too big to maybe do an episode on. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll cross that bridge another time. But right. we uh, we just got off of everybody having to listen to you and and Jeremy talk for four an hour hours. 20. So uh, and now whatever, we'll so keep it short, uh, we'll keep it a little bit shorter. So. So, all right. So we we got some uh, again some really great feedback here. War. This is all, and this is a difficult subject to ask about because you know you don't want to celebrate war. War is a terrible thing. War is, war is hell. And and so asking people their favorite war movies is kind of a it's kind of a weird question. But I also think that that war in cinema has produced some of, if not the best movies, that are made. I mean, it is literally the most visceral that humanity can get. Right. And so on Facebook, we got a, a lot of really good uh, feedback. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And on Facebook, we got a few good pieces of feedback here. Dale Whitaker suggested Forrest Gump, 
which I would argue isn't really a war movie, just a movie that has war in it. I, you know, you one thing I would defend on that though with with Dale is that the the central force that drives that movie for a big chunk of it mm-hmm. is all a result of of the Vietnam War. Sure, things that happen in Forrest Gump's life, meeting sure. Lieutenant Dan, Bubba, uh, learning how to play ping pong, yep. Bubba, That's all those point. things, uh, even down to things that help uh, happen with uh, Jenny. Right. Like whether it be like the the protests when uh-huh. he goes up there and all that kind of stuff. All right. I, I think it's more of like a a time period. It's more of like a historical like a, epic. Yeah. Even though it's not, it's the force. But obviously, the biggest driving force in that time period is the Vietnam War. So I agree, it's not really necessarily a war movie, but um, definitely war plays a for huge sure. part in that. For sure. All right, we'll allow it. I'll allow it. We won't give Dale any crap for it. Dale, I got your back. Uh, uh, Alex Gerhardt uh, listed a few, a few really good ones. Uh, the Patriot, The Last Samurai, and even though he wouldn't call it a, a war movie, and I wouldn't consider it a war movie, Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves. I think everything that happens before Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves is the war movie. Um uh, we also have uh, uh, Sandra Harnischmacher's a German listener, uh, listed Saving Private Ryan, pinnacle of, of World War II films, and then the German film Downfall. I'm not going to try to pronounce the German title because I'm, I, I, I recognize my limitations. But for those of you who don't know what Downfall is, everybody has watched the YouTube video of Hitler freaking out about something. They've memed the crap out of it. That's from Downfall. So if you haven't seen Downfall and you're in the right kind of mood to watch an insanely well-acted movie about Hitler, Downfall is the movie to be. Uh, and then our guest host last week, Jeremy Nakano, brought up a wonderful fantasy war film. Uh, Easy. <laughs> a wonderful fantasy sci-fi satire on war, Starship Troopers, which is a legit answer. That is a war it's against what made bugs. made Ricky the guy he is. It made me who I am today. Straight, right, red-blooded American male. Um, David J. Williamson listed a couple. The Longest Day, Sands of Iwo Jima, and The Fighting Leathernecks. Going a little bit old school, maybe because he's my father. He's he's, 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 a, he's a little bit older older than I am, so he's a little bit old school. Robert Ensley, throwing out one of your favorites, Braveheart. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about war movies, is you've got to look beyond just World War II. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex Salvato. Mentioned Full Metal Jacket, which, I mean, probably one of, if not the best, Vietnam War film ever made. I mean, and there's a lot. Like, that's that's a bold statement in and of itself. And then over on our Instagram, we got one more. Uh, v underscore Richie D always likes to give us his top ten. So we'll break it down for you really quickly here. He has Hacksaw Ridge at number one, which is a bold move, in my opinion. As great as that movie is, and I really enjoyed that movie, he has Saving Private Ryan at number two. He has The Imitation Game at number three, and that's interesting because it is very much a war film, but with no actual warfare mm-hmm. in it. Yep. So that's one of the other things to think about with war films, like Schindler's List is another example. Um, he's got Inglorious Bastards, Fury, Lone Survivor, Jarhead, Black Hawk Down, Atonement, which has the the big scene in Atonement is the uncut shot that is the Dunkirk evacuation, and then Blood Diamond. Uh, he also mentioned Great Escape, Hurt Locker, The Longest Day, The Pianist, and Schindler's List. So war films come from all shapes and sizes, and we got a lot of ones here. Dunkirk obviously is, is a war film in the sense that it's, a, it's historically a war film. But you did a little bit of research uh, on the event. Some people might not be aware of it because it is very much – this was before America was in the war. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the observations that I made is that there's something a little less rabble-rousing to us Americans for Dunkirk than there is per se like a Hacksaw Ridge or Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, well, I think the thing is is there's not a bunch of veterans running around in the U.S. that – you know, can talk about or share their stories from Dunkirk because they weren't there. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, it's not going to be like, I don't, granted, it was a while ago since I was in history class, but I don't remember <laughs> learning a whole lot about the story of Dunkirk back in school. And I had to research it when I heard that, like, Christopher Nolan was doing a war movie on the on the Dunkirk battle. I, and, I, I don't know what that is. And it's actually a really cool story. And yeah. I think that's, 
you know, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about uh, things that rile Rick up about uh, what people are saying about the movie. Hmm. Um, but basically, World War II. So it's a World War II movie. Um, French coastal city. So uh, basically on, you know, facing, because you'll hear it referenced multiple times throughout the movie from the English actors about saying that they can see home. Um, because basically it's across the channel. Right, it's um, 20 miles. Yeah, so it's not like they had to go far. Um, I don't think any of them up for swimming it, but... Uh, no. Many people have tried swimming that. People have tried. I think some people have swam I think it. a couple people have made it. But um, so basically 400,000 people having to get the heck out of there um, and insane. not enough boats and not enough... Which is crazy when you think about it that you only got to go 20 miles, yet we're having... This, struggle getting people across and i think some of that had to do with the speed that they needed to get out of there um and obviously you know you've got planes and things like that that are making it more difficult to get across even though it's a relatively uh, short distance it was it was a fairly heavily policed area there was submarines there was u-boats there was bombers and there were no docks yeah i mean no huge docks the huge docks that were around were either blown up or occupied yeah and, and what made this story obviously something that you can make i mean nothing that we've said now makes it anything you know crazy that you would want to do a movie about right or at least on paper uh but obviously what made this um such a unique story is the amount of like random boats that were used to be the solution uh, without getting into spoilers uh, the whole basis of this is ordinary people helping out bring people back. And it wasn't always the ordinary people piloting them, but, you know, you had paddle boats, you had sailboats, you mm-hmm. had all sorts of things because it was only 20 miles. So it's not like you needed some thing that could stand the open seas of like the Pacific. Right. Or you the, didn't need the a Atlantic, warship. You know, you, uh, could, you could take a day sailor. Yeah, because plenty of people did that on, you know, obviously non-war times right. would go from England to to France. So, right. um, so that was kind of the background of it. Um, but I think something that, that made this unique was, I know you said, we talked about how this is a war movie because obviously it's set in world war two, mm-hmm. but I think the thing that's unique about it is, is it, does it feel like a war movie? And, and from that standpoint, and this is where I'll rile Rick up a little bit here. <laughs> uh, one review, which actually came from the guardian. So you're talking about in, publication from the uk we're, from we're England. calling we're calling out us this little rinky ding podcast is calling out the guardian you <laughs> sons right. of bitches they called it and the the reason the americans want to fight well this was the thing is this is why it was meaningful to me is because we talked about how this may not have as wide of appeal here in the states mm-hmm. because it's not a story we grew up on i guarantee you in history classes in england this, this is taught. Well, and, and you know, before we get into the, the, the Guardian and all that, the other thing to consider is that this is not your successful mission type of – this is not a battle of the bulge. This is not a war of attrition. This is not – you know, we, we had the – this is a story of retreat. Mm-hmm. This is a story of we need to get the hell out of here. And so that isn't necessarily something that, that is taught in, in schools. But in, in this case, it turned out to be – invaluable to the war effort because sure. that's 400,000 troops that could, could have, have been got lost. captured or killed or lost and then Britain is lost and then who knows what could have happened but by getting them out of there the war can, could continue the war effort could continue and so it's a very interesting story now whether or not this is a war film so I guess so if you th- consider Forrest Gump a war film I think this is a war well film. absolutely but so We'll, 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 we'll debate this here in a second, but basically what The Guardian called it, the headline, you Google Dunkirk right now. Yep, this Gunk, is the Dunkirk first thing review. that comes up on news is The Guardian's review. So English publication, people that grew up on this story, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. call it a bloodless, boring, and empty movie. Bullshit. <laughs> you want a hot take? That's my hot take. How dare you? Like, I, I literally don't... Now, listen, here's the thing. This is... And again, I, I we always preface this by saying that no opinion is wrong. The beautiful thing about movies is that they are subjective. And I was actually on Letterboxd.com earlier today looking at some of the reviews and fighting the urge to just comment on them or, or reply to them because some of them are just so... 
dense in 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 their explanation very similar to how that headline is so so the it's important to mention that that that's not incorrect like that statement because it's a review of a film that is their reality for that film and that's fine but i cannot see how number one let's let's break down those three words bloodless very true absolutely this is one of the least bloody bloody films that actually show that because obviously we talked about like imitation game right no war really Warfare films this is a movie where people are dying people are getting shot people are drowning there's a lot of casualties there are bodies but we really see very little blood right like i don't even really have i just saw it yesterday and i have very little recollection of like blood in right. the movie like i know there was some in there a little but very not little. a lot not say i mean it's but it's not about that like it's not about christopher nolan didn't set out to make a bloody war movie we'll get into it in a little bit i i don't understand how they could think this is boring now i do understand people who say that they can't relate to the characters because there is no central character there's no background on these people. You don't get that moment where everybody's sitting around talking about what they did back home and shit like that because the situation didn't didn't uh, allow it. You know, we're literally stuck on this beach. We're sitting ducks. We need to get out of here and everybody's trying to come get us. We're going to sit around and talk about home like you're terrified. You're crapping your pants there's there's no time for that backstory or that character it's about the job it's about it's not a movie about people it's a movie about fear and resilience in the face of that fear and i feel that people who get mad because i couldn't connect with any of the characters don't understand why the movie was made and empty same thing literally the same i i I don't understand that like i don't understand how you can watch this film and see and and there's not a lot of talking in this film there are moments of this film where it very much seems like a silent film with with sound effects and music but there are there are certain scenes and certain areas that we're going to talk about when we break down the film where there is such emotion being conveyed by the people on screen that I don't understand how you can't watch certain parts of this movie and feel empty because if you're not feeling stressed or tense or frustrated or relieved I don't understand what did you feel in this movie you felt nothing I don't think I don't know that's possible that's like you that's like you watching up and feeling nothing which I know exists hey. because I sit across from you it's so, not that I don't feel anything it's just that no tears come okay yeah, that's all okay. I can say well we'll say that then but I, I I just I don't understand that and I think that maybe that is because of the perception of what do, a war movie is. I was going to say, do you feel like it's hurt by the perception of what a war movie is supposed to be or even what we've been trained to think of a war movie? You know, think of some of the ones that people listed as their favorite war mm-hmm. movies on there. Um, Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Obviously a huge background story of a character. You follow him through his life. Through his life. Yeah. Um, you know, you get to Saving Private Ryan. This whole mission is going and getting someone and you meet these characters and you see them react it's a, and you the, see them hurt yeah. and bond. The movie and is about a man. The mission is, is a man. man. Exactly. And, you know, even, you know, we could go through Well, you go through like movies. Full Metal Jacket. It's about the characters. It's about the people. You go into Starship Troopers and it's shitty actors, but it's still the characters and the people. So I get it. Hacksaw Ridge is literally about one man. Yeah. That's not what this movie is. No. And I feel like maybe it does. I, I don't. I wouldn't say that it is hurt by its perception because this movie's getting great reviews. It got number one at the box office, but the negativity, any negativity to it, is probably due to that. But but here's the thing too about Dunkirk is, and I don't know the story super deep. I did some research on it right. and learned about it. It wasn't like there was an individual hero of the story of Dunkirk. Like it wasn't like one guy. You know, right. wasn't like one general made this like amazing decision right. or, you know, one fighter did something that like just turned the tide of the whole thing. Right. Um, and that's was, what the it co- was really a story of a of a collective of a collective effort from the people at home trying to go and get all these soldiers that are basically just stuck like right. they're helpless. Like if if what they had there in that French city 
in Dunkirk, if the resources that they had, the weapons, their artillery, all that kind of stuff was enough, they wouldn't be retreating to the beach and right, trying they, to get off. They like they would stuck. be fighting and they would be pushing. But obviously they're in a bad situation and they're trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. And I think that's part of it, too. I think it's about it's not about like, oh, I'm going to save my son or I'm going to save, um, you know, this person. I think it's more about there are 400 of our countrymen over there and they are in need of assistance and we're going to go help them no yeah. matter well, what. Well, and, and without getting into spoilers, because I think this is in one of the previews even, right. uh, even the the main boat, you see a ton of boats coming over, mm-hmm. but the main boat that you follow in this movie, he says that with when they're leaving. You know, it says, you know, he says something along the lines of, you know, why are we going there? And it need, needs to be done. It like, needs to be done. People are in need of help. Like, why can't you let the Navy and the other people do that? Because... They need our help. Right. Like they're going to die if we don't go get right. them. That kind of thing. It's, so. it's, it's resilience in the face of insurmountable fear. Yeah. That's what this movie is. And yeah. It's amazing. And, and I think one of the things that even Christopher Nolan said leading up to this movie mm-hmm. was that this isn't a war movie. This isn't a bloody right. war movie. Like right. if you're going to expect that, that's not what I made. He says this is a suspense movie and a survival movie. So this is meant to keep you on the edge of your seats. This is meant to, you know, have that blood pressure go up of, of nervousness, of suspense, those types of things. Think of, think of really good suspense movies, those types of things. It gets you kind of anxious the whole movie. And I think, you know, we'll get into it more here in a second as we go into spoilers, but like that to me, like the music just drives it and plays such a role in the suspense and all the things that lead up to it just make it such a great movie. Um, because it accomplishes that. It is very much a survival and a suspense movie. Right, right. I mean, and it's the way I've described it is is that it's like, it's like if Christopher Nolan made a war film. Like, it is undeniably a war film. This, is a, this is a film set during one of, the, one of the peak pinnacle moments of the war to end all wars. And it's an undeniably Christopher Nolan film. It's an That's undeniably Christopher Nolan film. Um, but it is very much a suspense film. It is very much a film that it values suspense over blood. It values tension and feeling and atmosphere over characterization. Yep. Um, and in that respect, I think he killed it. So that leads us in. Well, this this may have involved some spoilers. You should have gotten the short synopsis that both of uh, Rick and I say go see the movie. It's true. The movie's literally, uh, you know, we talked about it before. Um, I, 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 you know, I love movies. We've seen a lot of movies that we love this year. This is my favorite movie of the year so far. It's, we're at July. It's the middle of the year, but it's my favorite movie of the year so far. The experience that this movie gave me. Um, and it true, and it is. It's very much an experience. Um, go go see it. Go see it in the biggest screen you can find. Go see it in Definitely IMAX. Definitely worth seeing in IMAX. It. Yeah, go see it in IMAX if you can. See it. Pay attention. It's great. It's amazing. The way that it plays with, and we're gonna get into this more. But the way that it plays with time, I don't think this is a spoiler. But the way that it plays with time is is astounding. The way that it tells three stories on three different fronts, the land, the sea, and the air. And the land takes place over one week and the sea takes place over one day and the air takes place over one hour. And the way that those storylines intersect at various points, not all together, but you know, they zoom in and out of each other. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just, the, the 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 editing that it takes to put that together and the 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 thought process the filmmaking IQ that it takes to put something like that together and have it turn out the way that it did is astounding to me so into the spoilers and into our our full reviews spoilers, so if you don't if you don't want to hear more about like specific scenes and details dies, of the movie if harry then, styles makes it or not then uh then stop listening now thank you for listening go see it um but one thing i will say for those of you that this is kind of a momentous occasion we have our first 100% it's true 
review by Rick. So for those of, of you that year. don't know, Rick does in-depth reviews of all the movies he sees, and they're they're awesome to read. Um, so I encourage you to check those out. Where do they find those? You can find those either uh, most most of the time. You can find those on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Uh, you can find them on all of our social media, like I said before, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. Uh, I post, the, I write the stories on Medium, though. So if you look up The Movie Lover, or if you look up Rick Williamson, you're going to find me there. And you're right. Yep. So first movie of the year that got 100%. We had close calls. Baby Driver was... 90 97 wonder woman was like 96 guardians of the galaxy was a 98 war of the planet of the apes was like a 96 great yeah. movies all so of them. they've they've made it close but this is the first one 100 mm -hmm. i debated it i was like 99 or 100 i cannot find a flaw in this movie like i, I get some people's flaws with the movie they're not flaws to me because because of what of what and I think this is important because of what the, the story the director is trying to tell. I think you know the beautiful thing about film is that it's subjective. Film can mean one thing to a different person, one thing to you than it can to me. You know, and that's because of the realities of life that we live in. Your life might be very different than mine. Someone else's life might be very different than mine, and so a movie affects them in different ways, and it focuses on things that they care about or don't care about. For this film. And for most films, I take into account what the filmmaker is trying to tell me. The filmmaker is the artist. What is the artist trying to tell me? And I feel like what the art, what what Christopher Nolan was trying to do here was make a suspense movie and a survival movie, and he crushed it. I mean, there's no other. I've said it before. It's 100. percent It's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. And even the performances, even though there isn't main characters that you can, uh, you know, uh, relate to, you know, even though there isn't that sit down moment where, you know, Tom Hanks sits down and says, what's the bet on me? Oh, I'm a school teacher. You know, I, I came yeah, from this town. There's no uh, big rousing speech there's from no big speech. some guy that before you run into battle no. or, or something like that. The like, closest thing you get to that is somebody reading a newspaper out loud at the end. Yeah, and, and that's, that's it. And that's the end. That's post climax of this movie. Right. It's it's so what Christopher Nolan set out to do. I cannot help but think that he achieved, and that's and that's big to me. That's why the music in this movie is is amazing. Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan have been working together ever since. God, I don't know. Batman Begins, maybe even before that. Um, and it feels like this is a culmination of that partnership because Hans Zimmer has been getting a little bit more experimental, more and more experimental over the years with his scores, with his music. And it's been really interesting because although it's not quite as, um, you know, something that you can listen to, like the Batman score, like you can listen to chunks of the Batman score on its own and they're great pieces of music or Pirates of the Caribbean is another great example or Lion King, which is what he won his Oscar for, oddly enough. Um, this move, this score is not a score you can just sit and listen to. No, not unless it's, you want to have high blood pressure. Yeah, mm. but it and matches. nervous ticks. Seriously, like I try, or like, it's kind of really good for keeping you focused, if I'm being honest. I've been listening to it while we work, <laughs> and it kind of keeps you on point. Um, but it is a stressful score, and even though you can't listen to it on your own, this is the perfect marriage between score and film. It, it, it the Hans Zimmer score is as much of a character as the other characters. Yeah, well, and I think setting up proper expectations, if you're still listening to this and, and going to see it, you're not going to get a bunch of, this is like the anti-Tarantino film. Nope. No, yeah. This is... It's PG-13. Everything that Tarantino does, this is pretty much the opposite. Yeah. Long, drawn-out dialogue, not in this not movie. Very little. Lots of blood, not in this movie. None. Um, It's... Pop culture references. Yeah, pop culture references, none. Zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the thing about this movie is if you're going to go the route of not having a whole lot of like you're thrown into a character right off the bat. Literally, the movie which we've which we've had done with Christopher Nolan before. Uh huh. Um, this movie starts with like six six soldiers in town. Literally snaps right from black. Dunkirk title. Boom. There's there's leaflets falling, telling the, the soldiers they're surrounded. You're fucked basically. Yep. And then chaos. 
Yeah. And so you, only one of them survives, ends up at the beach. Basically, everybody's trying to get back through the city, get to the beach, because that's where you're getting loaded up and that's where you're going home. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. Um, and at that point, you meet a guy on the beach. He goes there. He's taking a dump. Tries to. <laughs> Tries to take never a dump. Never actually does, yeah, which they, is super upsetting if yes. you think about it. Yeah, he's got to be even more uncomfortable. I got to imagine he crapped his he pants He definitely crapped point. his pants, yeah. for At some sure. point, between the drama and the things that happened and just, yeah. He goes, he goes, he runs off to the side. He gets to the beach and he sees that there's just lines of people. And they're not going anywhere. They're just standing in the sand in the water. And he runs off to take a crap in a sand dune somewhere and meets this other guy who's burying a body. And literally says nothing. Nope. Not a single Not a single line. Um, there's no dialogue in between them. Uh, basically, it looks like he's bearing someone and the guy doesn't have a shoe on. Right. Which I, you know, these are the little things that aren't told in the movie. Um, you could easily, if you're going to be a lazy movie watcher in this movie, you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss a lot. But the fact that it pans from if you're like busy his... on your phone and oh, into your popcorn get and other things. Get out of the theater, number you, one. You're going to miss a lot because as we find out later, that little planted of seed of there's no shoe on the guy. Basically, the guy burying him took the guy's uniform. Took his identity. We have no clue. We assume it was all done in good nature. Like right. There's enough dead bodies out there that he could easily find a uniform. But who knows? Maybe he killed this guy to get his uniform. We don't know. We don't know. Nothing said. When you're that desperate... To get off, yeah. and he doesn't say anything, which we find out later. It's because he's French, right? So he doesn't. These are all. Which they think it's because he's German. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too about this movie is it's telling the story of the English getting off, right? Like we're in France, where Germany's coming and well is already occupying, right? So there's tons of French people wanting to get out of there too. Right. But this is all about people going back home to England. These are the Brits. So. You know, there's little things like that. Uh, and if you're not going to have a lot of dialogue, like I told you when after I saw it, there's a lot of scenes. And I pay attention in a movie. Right. It was difficult for me to understand what they were saying. Sure. Because the score was loud, what was happening, just like it would be if you were in war. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult to hear some of those conversations. Even the quiet conversations between the commander of the Navy and the Army where the, the, the sea is crashing up on the rocks and the music is, like you said, the music's swelling. And, and that's the thing is the, that music drives it. Like it fills that void of that conversation that like I didn't really miss it. Maybe there was times where I'm like, like what's, what are they saying? What's going on? Like, right. But I think it almost engages you more because you're trying to figure it out. Like you're trying to see like, okay, what's happening? What are they trying to do? You know, those Some people things. get frustrated and give up and other people listen harder. And when they listen harder, they're paying more attention. And when they're paying more attention, they get it. Yeah. They should be able to get it. I really like the, the land story because of it almost becomes a Charlie Brown esque. We're going to get off this beach. No, well, nope, you're not. You're getting back on the beach. Like we're going to get on this boat. That scene of them carrying the, the, the stretcher, one of the best in the movie. Yeah. Of them trying to get on the medical boat. Then they get on the medical boat and then they're like, nope, you guys got to get off. And so then they bail, hide, medical boat gets sunk, and they jump in the water like they were on the medical boat. Yeah. So then they get put on another boat. And then that boat gets sunk. And yeah, it's because just, their only way of determining who were the people on the boat was who's wet. Was who's wet. So they get wet so they can get on the next boat. And it's one thing after another after another. And there's this futility. It's almost like the beach is like a purgatory. Yeah. Like these guys can't get... They can't get away no matter how hard they try, no matter what they do. You even get to the point where they watch a guy just start taking off his gear and he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to swim. Well, and that's where it's important to pay attention at the beginning that the land story is a week long. Right. Like I think a lot of people just think like this all happens in one elongated like no. day. No, no. Um, because you have the pilots, which are only an hour. Right. They're throughout the whole movie. And so it's easy to kind of get kind of lost if you're not. If you're not paying again, attention. If you're going to be a lazy moviegoer, you may get lost in this movie. Sure. And you may not enjoy it. But if you're coming into this movie ready for a Christopher Nolan movie and wanting to be told a story in a way that you normally don't get, this movie is amazing. It's, it's really rewarding because the way that it's told is, as, a, as we said before, the land, the sea, and the air – 
Land takes a week. That's telling a story over a week of time. The sea takes and tells a story over a day. And the air tells a story over one hour. But they're intercut. So we cut from the beach, then we cut to the boat. And then it's it's nighttime on the beach, but it's daytime on the boat. Like that kind of stuff that you yep. got to pay attention to. And when they when they intersect over each other, it's almost like he's putting Easter eggs for the movie itself in the movie while it's happening. Like when the when the plane flies over a sinking boat, and it's a very distinct-looking boat. And yep. then later... The land crew, those those twelve guys. You see them get into this boat on the beach, and it's, it's not the in the same, water yet. Right, but you recognize that. Well, I mean, if you're paying attention, again, this is where you you're gonna enjoy it so much more if you come in. Like, don't go see this movie at midnight when you're half awake, tired or drunk or yeah. like just. You see this boat, and it's you're like, wait a second, I just saw this boat. Yeah, like. Ten minutes ago, yeah. I just saw this boat. And you know it's fucked. Like you know that. Oh God, don't get Some, on that boat. Somehow this is gonna sink. Like, right. You know. That's so cool to me. Like that kind of stuff is is so fascinating. Or when they do intersect over, like when the one plane crashes and then the boat comes to get him. Like that's an intersection of that of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's uh, it's so good. And then finally, when it all gets to the end, I felt like it was. I felt satisfied. Like I felt like it was earned when there the bomber is coming for the destroyer, hits the destroyer, the destroyer's sinking. And so you see that in the plane, but then you see it from the sea because the 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 civilian ship is coming towards that scene. And then you see it from the land guys because they're in the sinking ship and it all connects for one brief moment. In that film, it all connects. And it's just, there was just something about it that took my breath away. And that was just like, oh, man, yeah, that's really cool. And, it, the, I mean, I could go, I mean, we can go on and on about the well, different think, devices he uses for stress and tension as well. Like, Yeah, and, and that's where I'll get to the question for you is, do you feel like you miss having a main character? Or did you miss... Like some of the complaints that people have online, and, and again, people can have their own opinions sure. and that kind of thing. We talk about that. It's fine. But a lot of people complain about, like, we never got a background as to why we should care about this soldier. Right. That we kind of follow along for most of the movie. Like right. we we see him from start to finish. He's the first one we really get introduced to. And Fion he's Fion Whitehead, I believe, yeah. is his name. Yeah. He's a rookie. Like, literally, this is like his first big movie. Exactly. Playing and, Tommy. And so he, you know, he basically is is the one character we get start to finish. Right. And we see him at the end. Um, but you don't know anything about him. Like, no. you don't know anything about his... He's like, a, normally in a war a movie... He's a scared kid. We're used to, like, oh, I've got a brother and sister at home. And right. Like, even less those little things, like, you know... He's trying to get back home or he's trying to get back to England. Like what's home there for him at England? And you right. don't get that. And, you know, the the guy who's panicking that they first picked out of the water out of the sink boat, um, Scarecrow, I'm just going to call him. Because oh, I always uh, forget Kill, his name. Killian Murphy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's never even given a name. He's never even given a name. Plays a big part of the movie. Um Technically, spoiler alert, kills someone. Technically kills someone, which was beautiful the way that they recognized that, like, he pushes this kid down out of fear. The kid knocks his head and ends up slowly dying. And then later when he does die and he asks if the kid was okay, they tell him yes because they recognize that this man has been undone by war. Yeah. Like PTSD or shell shock, sure. as they called it back then, has ruined this man from what he was, and they have sympathy for it. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And so, you know, you have – you don't have that background – but my argument always against when people are like, well, why should I care about these characters? It's like, do you like seeing people die? Like, right. you, do you care about what they're going through? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this isn't about one person. The Dunkirk wasn't about rescuing one person or getting one person no. home. It was get, about getting 400,000 people home. It was about, it was, yeah, no, it was about, and let's, let's pull it up here. It was about, Total British ships, 693. Of those, like, less than 100, around 100 were actual naval ships. 
So not only is it about getting 400 people off the island, but it's about the hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people that left their cushy homes who weren't able to fight. The women, the old men, the old women, the children leaving their homes because they had a sense of duty to their countrymen to go get these people. It's 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 about it, it, it's about coming together as as people. It's not about this guy. And don't get me wrong, there's some really cool stories that we miss out on that you could do a movie, sure. but it's not the route. The Guardian the, lists some of them. Yeah, the Guardian lists one. Like there's one supposedly about like a paddle boat. Right. That, that did nine trips. That did nine trips and s- shot down planes. Right. That's which dope. I don't know how you do that on a paddle boat. That's dope. That's I want to see that movie. Yeah, I That's will go see movie. that movie and I won't be upset right. that there's another Dunkirk movie. Like, no. This is one of those times where it's like, you know how like Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line came out pretty close together and like when right. when uh prestige came out we also got the uh, illusionist the illusionist yeah. you know like we get these pairings of movies like i would have been perfectly fine if someone else out there decided to tell this a deeper story. look a specific story about whatever this paddle boat was and right. whoever ran it and that kind of thing but that's not this movie but that's not this movie no and and so i think giving this a worse review or beating up on this movie because it didn't it's not do the, that. it doesn't tell the story that you wanted to tell. Yeah. That's not the movie's fault. Yeah. And Fuck that's not you. what movies are about. It's not telling the story you want to hear. No, it's, it's telling, telling a story. story and yeah. how you want to do it and what the vision of the person putting the movie together is. And I did care for the characters, you know, because I cared for the general outcome. And and you see these bursts of emotion from these characters, like you see bursts of emotion from the civilian captain played by Mark Rylance. Um, I think his name is Mr. Dawson, where he's just this stoic character, and and Mark Rylance is great at playing that 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 you know the the stoic man. Mm-hmm. But when his son is like, we don't even know if they're alive. Like he has this outburst of fear and emotion, and you see it in his eyes where he's like, I know, but they might be alive, and we have to go. Well, and the the cool That's thing amazing. Well, and the cool thing about that is. That that is one character that he does give background to, but he doesn't give it into the give it to you in the traditional order. Right. He gives it to you at the very end of when they're my explaining. brother's a pilot and died three weeks into the war. Uh-huh. Like so, like obviously now we know, of course he'd be motivated to go out and help sure. because he's thinking of his son who died and thinking about all those sons out there that you know he wants to be able to go home them to go home to their families, sure. unlike his kid was. Like he could have put that at the front, but that's the cool thing about Christopher Nolan is he doesn't give you movies in a straight order. And he doesn't tell, he doesn't tell the beautiful, the the general rule of filmmaking is show don't tell. Like if I could sit down and just tell you the backstory of somebody like that's fine. But Christopher Nolan shows it in the, like with the pilots with Farrier who's played by Tom Hardy, who literally has his face covered by a mask 80% of this movie again, because Christopher (laughs) Nolan likes that. You learn about his character from the things that he does, from the way the movie is cut, from him watching the planes in his rearview mirrors to him tracking the fuel gauge. You know that he's a good soldier, that he's a good airman, that he's he's good at his job. And that fear is a whole different type of fear. You know, the fear of the land is survival. I got to get out of here. The enemy's coming. And the fear of the sea is, you know, we don't know what we're going into, but we have to do it. I think the most interesting part about the air was that there is this fear of not getting the job done. Like, I did not get from the airmen, with the exception of the guy who was sinking, because that was fucking terrifying. Sure. But I did not get from the airmen that they were afraid to die. What I got was that they were afraid of, they are the only, like, we're here to help. And if we're not in the air, they're screwed. Well, they're going to keep sinking these ships. So well, it was a fear of not getting the job well, done. Well, even Tom Hardy's decision. Like this whole theme of the air right. has been his gauge doesn't work. We learned so early good. on that his gauge doesn't work. And so you're constantly being reminded, okay. He's running out they, of fuel. They, basically what they do is we both started with the same amount of fuel. Mm-hmm. So that should mean that your gauge is working, mine isn't. But we're flying together. We're doing all the same right. things. Like my flu sh- fuel should be going down the same. And I'm sure this is a typical you know, military pilot process if your gauge doesn't work yeah um 
but you keep thinking, okay, the fuel's going to run out at some point, or he's going to have to turn and go home at some point because the fuel's going to run out. And he doesn't say, there's no epic line of him saying like, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. Like I'm going to stay here and, right. and get this bomber before he sinks a bunch of ships. Right. You like, get it in his action. You see in a guy who's got his face covered, him look at the gauge, look at the bomber, see where the bomber's headed towards the ship mm -hmm. and say, you know, he makes that decision and you don't need to be told. You don't need some corny speech or that kind of thing. Like you see it happen. And then even, you know, I would argue he's other than the people that actually die. Tom Hardy's the only character that doesn't get the happy ending. No, but he's also the most heroic of that. He gets the he gets the big hero moment, which yeah, is my which favorite. Is Part of the movie. Everybody on the beach cheering when he shot down the bomber. Well, you get this moment of like hope. Like you get this moment of Kenneth Branagh sees all the ships and the music swells. And it's the first time in the movie where the music's not fucking terrifying, right? It's just it's it's this these these really calming strings and stuff where the, they see the ships are coming and they can get their boys out of here. And Kenneth Branagh's practically crying. You see the tears well up in his eyes that their people have come for them. And then you hear that you hear that traditional dive bomb noise and it's like the shark in Jaws because we've seen it earlier in the film. We've seen that bad shit happens when that noise comes in. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the film, the most violent part of the film is when they hit the deck and that one guy's laying there shooting up and the explosion just makes him disappear. Mm -hmm. I thought in the background. It's it's astounding. Yeah. But you know bad shit's going to happen when that sound comes. And so his his joy drops and his and it's all in his face. There's no words. It's all in the music and in the and in the sound and that dive bomber's coming in and by this time Tom Hardy's run out of fuel and he's just gliding. He's using yeah. his momentum because those fuckers are flying at hundreds of miles an hour and you don't know where he is, but he's gliding. It's just a silent spitfire plane. Yeah. And so coming in and then all of a sudden it, it putters and explodes, not like in a huge Michael Bay yeah. explosion. And then that silent spitfire just comes gliding in again. And he, Oh my Fucking, it was so good. I can't even tell you how good that was. It was like, I wanted to stand up and cheer just like all the guys. It was the big hero moment. Mm -hmm. And it was him sacrificing his ability to go home. He knew he wasn't going to get home, but he knew he was going to save all these guys. Yeah. He knew he was either going to die or get captured. Because right. his only landing place was, was German-occupied land. Occupied France. Or if he doesn't get the wheels down in that in time... He crashes. Crashes and dies. Right. So, I mean, he had two options at that point. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously that's a theme of, of war in general. Like the people that serve, like it's a very selfless act yeah. from that standpoint. You make so, those decisions. So, But he looked – but then he like just lands the plane, lights it on fire. He's got his turtleneck on. He looks dope. Like He's Tom Hardy. He's I, Tom I Hardy. He's Tom Hardy. All right. It's great. So – Wrapping this up. Yes. You think this is, uh, what, do, what do we expect for this in fe come February? This is, we are saying in July, I am saying the very too much too early Oscar check-in for the 2018 Oscars. This is our first Oscar contender of the year. I think it's our first legit Oscar contender. One could make excuses for Wonder Woman and, and War of the Planet of the Apes, but this movie, if this does not get at least seven nominations i will be shocked won't surprise me if it's nominated best picture no nope. also won't surprise me if it doesn't win i mean wouldn't be shocking I, well the academy has proven that they won't shock me when it comes to sure not nominate like inception sure. didn't get nominated for editing Absolutely. that's a travesty but i think this is nominated for like you said at least seven picture and director i think it's a shoe in to win at least a couple and obviously, we've got really good movies still to come out this year that could just completely blow us out of the water. I'm pulling. We'll, we'll pull this audio later. I'm predicting picture, director, editing. I'm predicting a supporting actor, maybe Mark Rylance. I'm predicting a lot of technical categories, including cinematography, uh, the production design, and the sound categories. Both sound categories for sure. Visual effects, not so much because there's almost no CG in the movie. Well, and that was. That Picture, was the thing is director. that was another thing in that Guardian review was that they complained about, you know, 
this real story has 400,000 people and yet he doesn't show anywhere close to 400,000 people. Um, and the real story had a bunch of planes right. in the air and a bunch of bunch more boats and he, he chose not to show it that way. No, but he did get thousands of people on that beach anyways. So he I'm did. predicting eight nominations from this. This is my early it's my early front runner. The gauntlet has been thrown. This is this is the early this is the first we're throwing our hat into the Oscar pool because this movie is astounding in every way. Go see it. It's beautiful. And, uh, and so uh, that is going to do it for this episode. We're, we're getting it a little, not quite under the wire, but we're getting it under 120 minutes, which is good. As always, please do us a favor. If you're listening right now, wherever you're listening, do us a favor and like, rate, and subscribe, whether it be iTunes, whether it be SoundCloud or Google Play. And also, we love hearing from you. So we want you to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, or on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. But for David Melhorn, I am Rick Williamson. Thank you so much for listening, and we're going to see you next time with the Popcorn Diet. Thanks.